Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath. I'm coming from the beautiful island of Hawaii, and I am enjoying the weather. We have uh, the rest of the world's been on fire, but we haven't really gotten very hot. Just one week we had of hot weather here. So we've had absolutely perfect weather and I'm so grateful to live here. And I'm really grateful to be here with my good friend and one of the most intelligent, articulate human beings that you could ever meet. I'm always in awe of how Judy helps people and how she shares this new understanding in a way that's so simple yet so profound. She's just my idol, and I'm really grateful to do this podcast with her. So here she is. Hi, I'm Judy, and Christine, you are my idol, so we have idol worship. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an example of how to have a good friendship. Right. So today, as promised, we're going to talk about um, the concept of, um, um, now I can't remember what it is. Psychological innocence. Should we start again? Let's start again. Yeah. No, we don't have to start again. Okay. All right. Um, Psychological innocence. And um, what we mean by that, because a lot of times, you know, in the past, I've talked about the innocence of people and people go like, how can you say that there's innocence in people? Doesn't that let them off the hook? You know, like, aren't you saying that they're, that they're not guilty of what they did? Or, you know, especially when you're dealing with people that do some pretty gruesome things to other people. Um, people couldn't understand the idea of psychological innocence. And um, I, I think that's frequently what happens. Um, you know, we have in, in the field of uh, helping people, we have like certain populations that are, quote, difficult to deal with, right? So people with addictions or people people who are violent with other people or um, people with what they would call personality disorders, right? So that because the analytical um, problem-solving kind of judgmental way of looking at people uh, doesn't, hasn't been helpful, uh, instead of saying, oh, yeah, we haven't been able to see how to help this group of people very well. Uh, the field has just decided there are difficult clients. There are people that are um, harder to, to work with than others. So what we find is that we talked last week about separate realities and how our thoughts create our experience of reality. And that's kind of really the the innocence of all people is that most people don't know that their thoughts are creating their reality. I mean, it's just like that simple. Like they'll go, Oh yeah, yeah. I I know I'm thinking, I know, I know I'm thinking, but this person did blah, 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 blah. Right. And so you go, people will go towards the outside world to, to kind of blame for their experience. And so when people do bad things to other people, 
they, they're doing it because they think at one level it's going to help them. At, at one level, they're going to get some relief. So whether it's murdering people or um, um, beating up their wives or um, hurting their children, um, or maybe it's a, a boyfriend that cheats on his girlfriend, or it's um, a, a person at work that um, embezzles from the company. You know, people do a lot of things because they get into a state of stress and then the best idea they can come up with is to do whatever they do. And it happens without them really thinking it through. They're not thinking like, is this a kind thing to do? Am I coming from love when I do this? Is this a good idea? Because they're thinking so much and they're so insecure that their mind just kind of comes up with these ideas and they follow them and they do them because in the moment it seems like a good idea from that perspective from that level of consciousness, from that separate reality. And then it doesn't go very well. And they're like, oh, whoops, that wasn't a very good idea. I shouldn't have done that. My mind um, told me that was a good idea. And said frequently, like uh, we've got guys that are sent to us from probation officers. And if they don't complete our class, they go back to jail. And they'll sit and argue with me for weeks on end about why they shouldn't have to be in this class and why you know, that the prosecutor was out to get them. There's, there's all kinds of reasons that they think they're there, right? Because they just can't see how their thought got them into whatever trouble they're in. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because psychological innocence doesn't mean legal uh, innocence. It means an, un, an inability to see, as Sid would say with capital S and capital E's, to see how their reality is created. So whatever thoughts pop in their head, they do them. And they don't know that their thinking is off. Looks like a good idea. I mean, how many of us have done something or said something that at the time seemed like a really good idea? And then it's like, oh my God, why did I do that? I knew I shouldn't have said that. You know, yeah. like at a deeper level, you know, it's like we realize that that wasn't a good thing. But in the moment, man, that thought pops in your head and your little ego gets wrapped around it. And it's like, yeah, and another thing. Da, 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 da. And you get on a, on a roll and you feel very self-righteous about what you're doing in that moment. But when you're in a healthier state of mind, you're like, oh, dear. I got really caught up in that or, oh, I was really upset. Like people will say that a lot of times when somebody dies in the family and then they do something weird and everybody knows like, oh, you know, he just lost his wife. That's why he did that. Like we all kind of know that, that we do things that aren't really us when we're not in a healthy state of mind. And that's kind of what we're talking about is psychological innocence. Yeah. You know, that's, that is so, uh, that's a really profound thing that we, we, are, we have a big forgiveness factor for people if we can find an external reason to feel sorry for them. And yet we're really, we're, we're using the same f concept where, you know, the poor guy doesn't know any better right now. And yet we can't see that when it's just regular life and the person's circumstances or whatever they are, you know, it's really, I never really saw it that way, but that's, that's so true. Yeah. And. You know, it's it's funny. I uh, I used to have a lady that worked uh, 
for me. And she, she took care of my house and was there when my daughter came home from school. And she and my daughter really got very close to each other. And her name was Geneva. And Geneva was a, just a wonderful, wise, profoundly caring person. And I was so fortunate that she came into our lives. And she used to uh, raise foster children. She had seven children of her own. They were all grown and gone. And she missed having children around. So she not only worked with me and my child, but she had foster children. And so she took this very difficult foster child. And, um, and she, everybody, he had been in something like nine homes in 11 months. Nobody wanted to keep him. And so Geneva raised her hand and said, I'll take him. I'll take him. It's okay. I can do it. And so, um, and he was, he was a, uh, a little Haitian boy. And so anyway, she had this little boy and he was like a dynamo and a motor mouth. He never stopped talking. And he had something to say about everything. And, and that's what the, the complaint that everybody had is he's impossible. He's ruining our household. He never shuts up. He, nobody else has a chance, et cetera. So she, she'd had him about a couple of weeks and I hadn't heard a word about it. And I said, Geneva, how's that little boy doing? She said, oh, she said, Miss Sedgman, he is the sweetest little boy. He's just adorable. I just love him. And I said, well, what about the talking? She said, well, he, he's calming down. I said, how's that? She says, well, you know, one day I had, I was sat him down by me. We we're watching TV together and he's talking, talking, talking. And I'm trying to watch the TV program. And I had my arm around him and I was just rubbing his little hand and loving on him. And I said, honey, just because that stuff be coming through your mind don't mean it have to come out your mouth. <laughs> so great. I love that story. <laughs> and, and he was really struck by that. Now, if she would have yelled at him, like all the other foster parents did, would you please shut up? We can't stand any longer. But, you know, she gave him something to hang on to. It's just because that stuff be coming through your mind don't mean it have to come out your mouth. He got it. And he started quieting down. And he would say something like, uh, okay, Ms. Geneva, am I talking too much? And she'd say, ma'am, maybe a little bit. And he'd say, okay, okay, I'll keep it in. <laughs> and he got really sweet. And he turned in, he actually ultimately joined the army and had a very successful life. So, and uh, yeah, and Geneva got him where he could be adopted by a family and it was lovely. And that was kind of, that's the magic of love and understanding psychological innocence. She realized that he'd been a little orphan boy. He'd been in all these households. He was very insecure. Nobody loved him because he was impossible from the beginning so you know he wasn't a child that was easy to love and she loved everybody and she just loved him to death and and while she was being very loving and sweet she gave him the information he needed and that's that's seeing psychological innocence that's a pure example of it and she's never known anything about the three principles and you know, that she just lived her life that way. She saw all people as having just tremendous promise and potential. And you just had to love on them until you could see the thing they needed to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the, the thing is that when you're, when you have thoughts about somebody else, like you say, I see this frequently with, with um, parents you know, that parents that maybe got really stressed as parents 
and didn't do such a great job of, uh, of raising their kids. And then the kids grow up and they have this awful feeling in their heart because they think that what the parent did was personal to them. Hmm. They think that, you know, that they hurt me, they did it on purpose, that they, that there's some kind of malice intent. And, and sometimes a person is in a really bad place and they do really awful things to people. And so that's not unusual that the person would think that. But when they realize that whatever the person did was actually the best they could see to do and accept that, like we just, we, we'll say like, oh yeah, 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 I know it's the best you could see to do, but da 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 he should have done something differently, right? <laughs> and when, when, when you see like, like truly given the state of mind that that person is in, the level of consciousness that they're functioning at, the amount of drinking they were doing, you know, whatever it was that was contributing to their unhealthy state of mind, given that what they did was actually the best way they could see to get some relief. And, and it wasn't about the child, that, that what they were doing had nothing to do with the child but the child then took it personally, right? And so we have, now we have this whole thing about trauma-informed care. I guess, it cracks me up. I got these guys, they, they, they go treatment. They have to find something to be traumatized by if they didn't have one. You know, it's kind of like, there's gotta be something there. They start looking around for it as if somehow, <laughs> you know, it, but to, to find peace, with the past, you have to understand psychological innocence. Because in uh, Sid, Sid Banks' uh, book, Missing Link, there's a chapter called um, Love and Forgiveness. And what he says in there is that you can forgive the act. You, 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 you forgive the person, but not the act. And people have a hard time separating that out. But when they realize like, okay, I don't have to forgive what he did. That was unforgivable. But I understand the psychological state that he was in, that that would look like a good idea. And my heart goes out to him, that he was so distressed that that was the best he could see to do or she could see to do. And that to me is what provides people a way of letting go of uh, kind of a, a, an inability to understand how anybody who loved you could treat you that badly. But when you don't understand that, you get caught up, yeah, he's, a, he's awful, he's terrible, he's da-da-da-da-da. And, and you start taking it personally, and then you start thinking that they have motive. And I always tell people it, it is people that do really um, selfish um, narcissistic kinds of things. If they were thinking about you that much, as much as you think they're thinking about you, they wouldn't do what they're doing. They're not right. thinking about you. They're thinking about them. Right. Yeah. Insecurity. People are always thinking about themselves first. You know, insecurity yeah. puts you in survival mode. You do whatever it takes to hang on. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, I had a, I had an experience with a client one time who was um, really sure, absolutely positive that his wife was having an affair. And he was telling me that this is the way it is. She's having, I know she is I can, because 
you know, she, she's gotten her hair fixed and, you know, she's gotten some new clothes and they're really kind of sexy. And she's got, you know, I notice when night, when we go to bed, she's got pretty lingerie. And um, I know she's having an affair because that, you know, why else would she do that? So, you know, I knew the wife, this was like, you know, was, I, I mean, it was awkward because they were sort of friends, but I didn't know him very well, but I did know the wife and I knew she was not doing that at all. <laughs> And what he had forgotten is that she had had a, a bout with breast cancer and she got very depressed for quite a few months. She was very frightened and depressed and then it was fine. It worked out fine. Her treatment worked and she was clear and she was thrilled and she kind of wanted to get her life back together. And so she went out and got pretty clothes and had her hair redone, got, you know, new makeup and all kinds of things just to, and she was hoping that he would be so attracted and thrilled with his beautiful wife coming back to life that he would, you know, and her complaint was that he just doesn't love me anymore. You know, he looks at me funny and he doesn't show much. And I put on my pretty, pretty lingerie and he just doesn't, looks like he doesn't even like it. And, and so I said, well, he thinks you're having an affair. And she just about died laughing. She said, you've got to be kidding. I've had breast cancer. I've been in chemotherapy. I barely could walk. <laughs> she said, you've got to be kidding. And I said, no, I'm not, but that's what he thinks. And she says, oh, my God. She said, how am I going to straighten that out? And I said, well, let's call him in. He's in the living room. You know, I was talking to them separately. Mm-hmm. So I called him in and I said, uh, so I mentioned to your wife that you thought she was having an affair. Do you know what she did? And he said, what? And I said, she laughed her head off. And she said, how would I be doing that? I had breast cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, oh, my God. He said, I completely forgot that. Of course, it was terrible for her. She suffered so much. And they both started laughing. And it was really, it was sweet, really. You know, they left kind of arm in arm and they were both laughing. So I thought it was worked out okay. But that's a perfect example of how people can get a thought and start finding flaws in the other person rather than seeing, you know, the innocent motivation. Sometimes it's not something negative they did, it's something positive they did. As yeah. in this case, where she was trying to get him interested. You know, and he's going like, she's doing it for some other guy. <laughs> you, you know, that happens with the, um, the domestic violence guys that I work with because they'll, they, they calm down and they, they stop arguing. And then the significant others say, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? What are you up to? You know, because yeah. they're not, they're, they don't, they're not learning this, right? So it, it's like, they just see this person changing and people get caught up in their own thoughts about that. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny. But, yeah. you know, when, he, when people see that, that's, that's a beautiful story because when he could see that he was caught up in his own thinking and it was off. It's like the, the veil lifts, like, you know, yeah. you suddenly see the, the trick of life. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's really, that's when he said, Oh, I get what you're saying now about that thinking thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah. And you know, this is the basis of not only forgiveness, but getting over things, you know, like this, kinds of stories like this where she isn't having an affair and he has to realize it, it could have ended bitterly. 
you know, mm-hmm. because without the understanding that, oh, I just thought that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, well, I wasn't right. I just made up a reality in my mind that was tricking me. And then it's funny. You can just laugh it off and realize, hey, we're all human beings. We do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a, it, it's very important in, in all relationships. I had another incident one time where I was doing a, a group for veterans with PTSD that I'd been doing for quite some time at, um, at an organization. And one day there was a new person that was dropped off right before the group and he came running in and he had just gotten out of prison. When I say just gotten out of prison, they brought him from the prison to my group. (laughs) So he had not even walked on the sidewalk yet. You know, he'd just gotten in the police car and they took him to my group and he came in. And so he's sitting there and he's been in prison, get this, for 10 years. So he's been in prison for 10 years. Suddenly he's free and he's in my group. <laughs> and he's sitting in the front row, which is where the policeman just sat him down, you know, walked him in, sat him down and uh, said, okay, see you around. <laughs> so now I've been working with the rest of the guys that were in that group for quite a while. So they, they really were really settled down and really sweet people. And I thought to myself, please, please, please don't get, don't grab him. Don't do anything. Don't touch him. You know, because in prison people become very, caught up in their own safety and, and keeping people away from them and being afraid of strangers and all that kind of stuff. So he's sitting in the room and the other guys are all coming in, sitting around and the chairs are kind of close, you know, <laughs> and he kept starting to lunge and my guys just sat there and he'd start to lunge at me. And I didn't, I knew he wasn't going to lunge at me. I knew he wasn't going to hurt me. I just knew he, I could feel it. I could feel that he was just frightened. And he didn't know what to do. And he had all this energy and he'd just gotten out of prison. And so he was, it was, it was very disruptive, but we just got through the group and we didn't. And then, you know, I thanked him for coming and I said, I hope you'll come back. And, and he looked a little sheepish, but he left. And so I thanked my guys. I said, guys, thank you so much for seeing that he just couldn't control that, that he, he wasn't going to hurt any of us. He just was scared. And thank you for not grabbing him and trying to hold him back and all that stuff because it would have really been a problem. And the guy said, well, thank you because that's the only reason we didn't do it is because we, you didn't look scared and we figured she knows something we don't know. But the worst, the most beautiful part of it was the next week the guy came back. So he'd had a week and he'd reunited with his family and, you know, things were getting more normal. He comes in and he says to me, I, I really want to apologize to you for last week. He said, I was just terrified. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know why I was in this group. I, I, I thought maybe it was punishment. And then I would get all agitated and want to leave. And then I realized I can't leave. They'll put me back in prison. And, you know, and I'd sit back down. But he said, I just couldn't focus on what you were saying. And I'm really, really sorry. And I hope I didn't offend everybody. And I said, not at all. Everybody's been where you are. And mm-hmm. we've all had days like that and we've all had experiences like that. And you were just caught up in your scared thoughts from prison. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, can I come back to group? And I said, oh, absolutely. And he became a regular. I mean, he came for two or three years. I saw him almost every week. And, uh, but, you know, this is where things go off track if, with, unless somebody has some understanding that people's behaviors are not always they're not about the other person or the situation. They're about what's going through their mind. 
And that's why it's psychological innocence, because they, they only see what they see. Mm-hmm. They see the reality that their mind is feeding them. And if they're really insecure and really scared, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, um, in my group, when we have a new guy that starts the group, like now, mind you, most of these guys are sent to me because they get, they beat up women, basically. And so they have thoughts about women. It's amazing how they perceive women as being in controlling them and women kind of making them feel good or bad. And, and so inadvertently, almost everybody that the first week, because I am a strong presence in the group, right? I'm, I'm not like sitting in the back and uh, Louis Pavel and I do it together, but um, it, it, every, every, week, one of them goes to their, the individual person they work with and, and says, Oh, Chris was really being a bitch today, you know, in some, <laughs> some way, shape or form. And I'm like, Oh yeah, here it comes again. You know, but at first I'd be like, what? I didn't, what did I say? What did I do? Anything? And then I realized, Oh no, this is why they're here because they have thoughts about women that are so negative and they perceive women as being the source of their kind of um, insecurity. Right. So they, have always then become violent with the woman because they thought she was making them feel bad. She was making them feel insecure. She was making them feel small. And, and so, you know, now it's like, Oh, okay, good. At least I touched something there because you, now this doesn't mean like, um, you know, like one of the guys in the group was pretty intense and an individual in-person session that, I said, okay, no more in person with him till he can be in, till he can see his own psychological innocence, right? Because until that time happens, he's not, he is dangerous, right? So it's not like you throw out your common sense about the state of mind the person's in, but if you don't take it personally, you'll do at least 50% less suffering because you'll understand that although it was awful what they did or terrible what they did or mean what they did, they did it because that looked the best to them. But that tells you about the state of mind they're in and the level of consciousness they're living at. So ding, 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 you know, malfunctioning person in vicinity, you got to use your common sense. That's beautiful. Yeah. And really understanding that is it is all at the root of forgiveness. Ultimately understanding psychological innocence allows you to forgive your own worst days and other people and get a fresh start. Yeah, that's right. And your past, you know, like then, because a lot of these, a lot of the guys that come in, you know, they have a very shameful past. You know, they have done so many things from the time they were in high school, grade school, that um, they just really think they're a bad person. They think they're a bad person. And so then they think everybody else thinks they're a bad person. And many people do think they're a bad person, right? So it it becomes very real for them. And so sometimes they just give up hope and think, I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I've been doing because that's obviously all I can do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like uh, our ability to change and seeing that as human beings, we can change when we understand how it all works, how these principles work in people helps them to then forgive themselves for what they did when they didn't understand it. You know, like, again, one of the, I use this example, but one of the guys that was in the, in the group had been in prison for 13 years and he was listening, went, oh, 
oh, my mind has just been tricking me. He said, all us guys, our minds have just tricked us into doing things that we shouldn't have done. I said, yeah. (laughs) Now, see, he woke up to his own psychological innocence, right? So it doesn't also doesn't help. It helps other people, but it also helps a person. Because otherwise they're like, why did I do that? What's wrong with me that I would act like that? And that just adds more to the insecurity bin, right? And they, they don't get out of it. Right. So whether it's your childhood sweetheart or your ex-wife or your parent or your partner or your boss, you know, it's like you just want to remember to, that everybody's only can see what they can see. And if you're learning about these principles and you're, you're waking up to how life can be different, other people are not going to see that. You know, this is pretty new in the world. And as you wake up to it, you're going to see other people. So just remember that, you know, there but by the grace of God go you. And uh, y- your, your wisdom and your good feeling is always within you. And with that, we've done it again. Okay. Aloha. So we'll see you next time. Thank you. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 